You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hey, everybody. You know, in addition to my blog content, my podcast content, I also drip a lot of stuff out on Facebook. If you're not a fan of my Facebook page, go there right now, facebook.com backslash Ken Davenport. Click that like button and see what I got to say. Now on with the podcast. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. I want to be Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, it's Ken. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and I hope it's pulling back the curtain on this business of Broadway. If you're looking to learn more about what makes this industry tick, go to my website, kendavenport.com, and sign up for my weekly newsletter. I'll send you one email a week, one article about what I'm seeing, trends, insights, marketing ideas on what's happening on Broadway right now. That's kendavenport.com. Hope to see you there and in your inbox. Hello, everybody. Ken Davenport here. Welcome back. You're listening to the Producers Perspective podcast. You know, if I was a guest on my own podcast and you asked me what area of Broadway business has changed the most over the past 20 years, I'd tell you marketing. If you asked me what the second area of business had changed the most, I'd answer marketing again. That's why I'm thrilled to have one of the smartest people I know in the marketing mm-hmm. space as our guest today. She is the president and founder of Art House, a cutting-edge digital agency with clients such as Come From Away, Stomp, Burn the Floor, and here's the interesting part, a whole bunch of non-theatrical clients, which I'm super excited to talk about. Please welcome to the podcast, Sarah Fitzpatrick. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. So, Sarah, let's go way back. Which came first as uh, an interest for you, marketing or the theater? Marketing, for sure. So I grew up, my, I, I'm a part of a restaurant family, and my father had this Mexican food restaurant for my entire life, and he was always doing these crazy things, billboards and logos on pillowcases and giving out tchotchkes and putting crazy words out front so that people would come by and go, what does what Oaxaca mean? And there were all, all these, these sort of campaigns that he was running, 10 years in tacos, 20 years in tacos. And um, I, right out of college, took over as the general manager of his restaurant and became part of that, the fabric of that. And I learned so much about what makes a consumer 
want to come in and experience. And it's funny, he always said food is half of it. Atmosphere is, is the most important. You could have the best meal of your life under the worst lighting, and it's very unmemorable to you. And what you want is an experience. So I think at the root of where I started, is it's this experience connection that every day of my life, basically growing up in the restaurant business was about bringing somebody in and elevating this experience that they were a part of. And so that's basically where it started. And then segue to Broadway happened. Did he have a marketing background? No, both of us psychology backgrounds. So I was so psychology yes, and business. Yeah, right, right. I mean, I, you know, I, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit later and, and our approach to how we connect with consumers. But I, I think marketing is all about empathy and it's all about understanding, getting out of your own head and not forcing a message on somebody, but getting in and understanding what they would want to enjoy or be a part of. And so that obviously psych psychology plays a huge part in, in that. Yeah. And so I think that that is the marketing and psychology are very much the same thing. Do you believe that marketing a restaurant, marketing a cup of coffee, marketing the theater is primarily the same thing? I only think it's the same thing in that the same principles would apply to how you approach the product you're marketing. So if I'm going to market this cup of coffee, I need to understand what would make that person want to go to the coffee shop. Why is this coffee more special than the other coffee? Is the experience when you walk into the coffee shop unique to other coffee shops? Is it is it a quick coffee that you're looking for? Or is it great lighting and a, a conversation you're having over business? The same thing would apply to going out to eat or theater. Are you, what experience are you looking for? And uh, so I think there are things, there's two kind of types of purchases. There's empathetic sort of emotional purchases. And then there's this utilitarian purchase, which is I'm out of razors and I need to shave my legs. That's, I need a razor. There isn't a ton of emotional experience that goes into that decision making. However, we have built up an entire razor industry where the woman needs the butter around the razor and she's going to be protected and taken care of. And so even in that scenario, even a very carrying purchase still does come without these emotional sidelines of how you're purchasing something. So what made you jump from running your family restaurant to the theater? How did that happen? Okay, so I was, I think, 23 years old. And the general manager, a general manager of about 70 people in a Mexican food restaurant. And I am fighting over things with chefs and patrons and finding people drunk, passed out in the parking lot. And there was a certain point where I'd done a, quite a bit of marketing in the restaurant to try and help elevate lunch sales and special drinks. And I realized that that sort of nighttime lifestyle wasn't for me. And also I sort of, believe it or not, peaked in the career of, of restaurant management very early. But I'd also spent quite a bit of time in my entire life. And, and I knew that I wanted to use more of my brain and my creative side, which I didn't feel like I could exercise in that space. So I was living in Connecticut. I had bought a little house and I was just doing the whole thing. And one day decided I was going to sell it and moved to New York City, and I started applying for jobs. And my grandparents have a history in Broadway and had 
set up an interview through Janet Robinson. And uh, I went and interviewed at Broadway.com. And I, I interviewed probably four or five people there for a group sales position. And I'll never forget, they called me back in to have a second meeting and said, you're too experienced for this. And I said, what the fuck are you talking about? I don't know anything about Broadway. And they said, yeah, but there's, you just, you'll get bored in this position. We're going to create a new position. And they created business development position for Broadway.com, where I am. It started in the fall of whatever year. And that's an interesting story too, because I was brought in to do new business. And so at that time, we're talking probably 2005 or six online sales and online purchases. That wasn't a part of our everyday. And I was specifically tasked to bring in affiliate marketers. So people, I would go out to people like newyork.com and ask them to be a white label site. We would sell the tickets and give them an affiliate cut. But I soon found out that there were in that landscape and at that time, there aren't that many places that people were going to buy Broadway tickets. So it was sort of a fruitless situation because I talked to everybody I could have talked to and I'd set up these white label sites and they'd sell three tickets and it ended up not being worth the work. So at the time, I'd started in the fall, I realized gift certificates were a big thing and this was before the breakage laws happened. So and I went out to the Westchester Mall for something one day and I realized we need to be at the point of purchase with these gift certificates. All these people are scrambling around trying to find some buy and what better to give people during the holidays than an experience. So I went out and I got a permit and I got folding tables and I staffed a small little table thing at the Westchester Mall and sold Broadway.com gift certificates from I think November 1st till the beginning of January. Yeah. And we sold, I, I, I don't quite remember, but it was somewhere in the range of like $2 million of gift certificates. And do you remember what the most shocking or surprising thing you learned from talking to customers face-to-face, which is something we so rarely do in our business? Yeah, well, first of all, I, I do. I so remember that experience so much because I felt like that two months taught me so much about what people were looking for. And I knew if we could just give the gift of this experience, that's far better than a razor or whatever, a massage thing at Brookstone. And that's what pe- all the people in the mall, I saw all their faces, they're walking around and I talked to them. And yeah, all of a sudden they're like, wait, and they can use this gift certificate and they can go see any show. And I would talk to them about the shows. And at the time, I didn't know a ton about show, any of the shows on Broadway. And yeah, I think people, we are an experienced world as much as we, even back then, I think more now so we're looking for experiences. I know this millennial generation is really looking for more of an experience than a material thing. But even at the time, people were hungry for that in a way that I think we were pushing consumer retail goods, but everybody got so excited by this idea that they could buy somebody an opportunity to go see something that was going to be unique to them and special and they could have the choice to do it. So so from Broadway.com to where? What was next for you in your path? So after January, I quickly realized that there was a gift certificate business fell off, obviously. And um, I realized that I, I wanted to work in Broadway and that I I couldn't stay at this job because there just wasn't enough to do, and I very much enjoy work. So I looked on Playbill and found a job at Situation Interactive, 
which was a new digital company, and it was two people, and they were handling Avenue Q and something else, and I wrote to the job email, and I wrote again, I wrote again, and I was just the most fucking persistent person. I had a feeling like I wanted to be in marketing now, and I knew I wanted to be in Broadway because I was so fascinated by it. And I wanted to be in digital because I knew Broadway.com actually was the only space really that was really pushing that the digital space in in all of theater. And Damien Bazzagona was the was really spearheading it at the time. There was nobody else. So um, I went to work for him, and there was three of us in that office for several months, and then. People started paying attention to digital, and it grew. And um, yeah, it was incredible. It was incredible. To, it's been incredible to watch because I remember being in a situation, and they would give us five hundred dollars to spend on advertising, and it was so much money. And I would call every single person, NewJersey.com. I got five hundred dollars. What are you going to give me? And I, I was just constantly haggling with these guys, putting them down because at that point they were desperate to sell online space create value and trying to figure out what they, how to evaluate and value they were selling too. So that, that was really quite a, a, a learning curve that we'll never be able to see again because, you know, now digital obviously has taken over in terms of connecting. Um, but yeah, coming from, from that was quite interesting and, and how people trusted online advertising, watching that shift, that it wasn't, you know, Damien is an incredible marketer. And what I found to be the passion at that time was how are we speaking in the advertising space, which at that time were very, two very distinct things. The marketing campaigns that were happening were, we did like a dance contest with Sweet Charity through Marie Claire, and you could submit your video, dancing video, and had a chance to go on stage. Nobody was doing that at that time in the digital world. And we got to do that stuff, but I also found that this there was a missing link to in the the actual advertising, advertising buying, and how we are looking creatively at putting ads in. Um, I remember seeing the Apple ads. Do you know the Apple ads that would come out and swirl the microphone? We need to be doing this stuff. So I worked with Damien for about a year and a half, roughly, and the two agencies at the time, Spaco and Sereno, they didn't have digital departments. And, um, it wasn't that long ago when you think about yeah, it, right? Ten years ago or so. No, it was, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, 10 years, which is really crazy. And I would go to Spaco meetings and I could see the shift in the dollars happening and the interest. And I knew that's the space I wanted to be. So I took a job description in and I went to meet with um, Jim Edwards at Spaco. And I said, you know, I'm thinking about leaving and I would just wanted your advice and well, how about this or that? Or have you ever thought about coming here? And I said, well, matter of fact, here's the job description. I want to start your digital department. And Persistence once again. I, I you know, just was rolling over. <laughs> just, I couldn't, I couldn't stop. So, um, yeah, and he, he was hesitant because this was all new again. And how, how was that going to work? And I, um, I knew I, I, money was going to be left on the floor. I could see it happening and the traditional agencies were going to suffer. And they just needed to understand, they needed to understand the flow of information that if you saw something, you were likely to Google it and led you to an online place. And those messages needed to be connected. 
And so he called me the next day and they offered me the job and I went and started the online department at Swaco in December 2006. So flash forward a decade now and mm-hmm. or your your company is how old now? It'll be five years in October 1st. So flash forward only five, six years after that and you decide to start your own company. What was the impetus for that? Was there something you're like... I want to do something different than the rest of the agencies are doing in town or the rest or or to provide a different service for the clients. What what was that? There was a very distinct time at Spaco that I took the twist and it was the it was the Obama election. People prior to the that election in 2008 weren't really taking digital seriously. They were interested in it. It was sort of the cool thing to talk about. Oh, they knew they had this digital person, talk to my digital person, but they weren't paying attention to it. It, it, particularly our clients, because this is a different industry. And again, we aren't Apple. We weren't moving things forward in that way, taking risks. We know how to market to our... We also have a very tricky situation. We're a national brand, in a sense, Broadway, but we have re, a little anchor. So there, we have limited funds, but we have to get to people and make them aware. So it was, it's a huge challenge. So, so in 2008, Obama started to use online and online tools and online activations to get people to come together. And people were coming together through text messages and meeting in certain places and flyering together. And all of a sudden, we were reading about this in the Times and places that our clients were paying attention. And there was just this awakening moment of, oh, wait, this is real. And it's not just real, but this is going to be what happens now moving forward. And I remember somebody did a piece on the difference between the Obama, I think it was during the primaries, the difference between Obama's digital campaign and Hillary's and how Hillary's, you text this number and it gave you the wrong information or it went to something. They, they just weren't connecting the dots. And when this Obama campaign connected all the dots and community organizers came together, it was amazing. And so after that, people started to pay attention. And I was having conversations that I almost never expected to have because I I love this stuff and I'm on the other side of it. And our teams are always talking about messaging and through lines and architecting a site to make sure that people can get through. It's like building a house with doors on the wrong hinges. You have to actually think so much about digital because it's interactive in a way that has to be natural to the user. So I started having these conversations and I got very excited by that. And I realized that because things are changing so much, it was important to me to go out on my own and start my own company that focused specifically on the creative elements of how people did interact with digital brands. Because generally speaking, and and this isn't just true of Broadway, you interact with a brand in a billboard or a commercial, and then those elements are taken and repurposed and put online. But what I saw happening after 2008 and into the years when I started my company were the first touch point for a brand is online. And every picture you see is that if I saw something you liked on Facebook and I clicked on it and it was somebody who just ran by the theater and took a moving image of the front of house and went and posted it. It's not representative of actually what you're trying to sell, which is an expensive theater ticket. And I thought it was very important to be able to have these elements paid attention to in the digital space in a way that wasn't an afterthought, but 
the thought. Um, and I, 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 it's been the driving force of Art House and the reason I named the company Art House because it's, it's an artful approach to how we look at advertising in, in the digital space. And it, it, growingly more important every single, every three months I look back and I'm like, wow, this has changed so much. And it's because we spend a significant amount of time online now. And we are often influenced more by our friends endorsing something or something on Facebook than we are by a New York Times full page ad. So I'm glad you brought up the full page ad. Uh, Is print totally dead? I don't believe so. I really don't believe so. I've always said that to do our job well, it has to work in a matrix of everything else. So there has to be multiple touch points for a brand. And again, in theater, to get somebody to be aware of what it is we're selling, we have many of our customers, consumers outside in Times Square looking at billboards and then they open up Time Out or they open up the New York Times and then they go to search on their phone. I don't think that print, or I don't think TV dead. I don't, I don't think any of those things are dead. I think it's about How do we put together the pie that makes the most sense for what it is that we're trying to sell? I think full page ads are not, I've seen, I've witnessed this happen. They're not serving the purpose they used to, which is we announce a show and and we get a full page ad in the New York Times and then it sells a bunch of tickets and we move on. That doesn't happen anymore. But there is a part of the conversation, I think, about is there that helps create a decision eventually. I don't, I, again, I don't think it's a major part of it, but I think in some situations it, it could be a part of the matrix that makes sense. Is there a new way to launch a show digitally? We did, this was the first thing the producers always did. My full page ad of the New York Times, this basically tells the market we're here, we're right. on sale, and it sells tickets. Is there a new equivalent of that, or is that launch no longer part of a campaign and it's just a little more broader scope? Yeah, I don't can't re- really remember the last time I worked on a show and we announced it in a full page ad. I mean, I think probably like 2007. Then I remember that. I remember that's when it sort of started to dwindle off. And there have obviously been shows since that have done it. But um, no, I think announcements now come in much more of a clever way and trying to spin off of angles of what the show has to offer. I worked on Waitress and Sarah Morales was a huge selling point for that. And she had an album coming out in a book. And we were able to use press opportunities to be able to set up pre-sales and announce the show that way and then go on an official general on sale. And, you know, the old, the old way of doing this was, okay, Amex gets a block of tickets, we sell out those tickets, and then it's open to the general public. I think there's we're constantly rethinking new ways to go about how to launch and announce a show, not just to sell tickets up front, too, but to also make sure that we make a splash in the marketplace and, and make people aware of us. Again, 10 years ago, people were buying tickets six months, eight months out, that buying pattern doesn't happen anymore. People know that there's availability other than Hamilton, and um, the, the decision comes much closer in. So it's an important part of not just expecting that first piece to drop and all the tickets to sell, but making sure that you drop that first piece and then you start to layer in the conversation and, and create a dialogue with uh, the potential audience. If you were launching a show and you had a million dollars in the ad budget to launch it, but you were forced to spend that million bucks on only one platform, 
what platform would it be? Well, I, I'm obviously going to say digital. Now, get more specific though with right. digital. So which, I knew you'd say digital, yeah. of course, loaded question. Yeah, plus signs. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden you're like, print ad. Can you imagine? But which platform on digital are you finding the most success at? Again, that's another interesting question because the way that brands, there isn't just a formula that you look at and go, okay, we're going to do this buy and this buy and, and video here. And it's, it's all completely different and it's different. This is why we've diversified our client base because we now are looking at consumer habits and how people find out about various products or experiences and what that path is to bring them to finally close a sale. So I think an important part is creating very beautifully crafted materials that you're going to release digitally. So again, not the afterthought video content that's interesting and allows you into the story without pushing it on you. I think that the digital space is much more about having an empathetic and conversational dialogue with your potential consumer and not, again, just saying, here it is, buy it. People want to be a part of the conversation and they want to think about it and they want to talk to their friends about it and they want to be able to leave and hub hub about it afterwards. So I think in some situations it would be buy in digital properties, YouTube, Hulu, whatever, or it could be a very strategic press approach where you bring influencers in that are going to sell a particular piece of what your show is, say, in the Sleep No More situation. That was sort of such an underground movement that I had spoken with them very early on and they said, don't spend a lick of money behind this. Do it all on the back end because this is about the experience of the discovery for people. People are going to want to go to this and talk about it. And it was so unique and such a new concept that I I walked through the space before it had opened and I knew people were going to walk out and the word of mouth would take off. But how do you get the right people in to make sure that that starts. And I think it's it, it has to be the approach based off of the product. There is no formula for, for anything. I, you know, I work come from away. We've worked on this last year and it's just been an incredible experience because I've worked on many shows that are original shows with no stunt names or movie scripts behind it. And I've never truly seen anything take off in the way that this show did. And I we were so strategic in our approach about creating this conversation with people. And we spend all day, there was actually somebody in the office all day talking back to people online. Like that's where a lot of our energy is because people leave the theater and have such an emotional connection with the show that we, again, in the, the beginning of the show, we realized that there were all these elements of, of the show that as a consumer message up front would be very confusing kissing a cod and what is screech this alcohol and and but we wanted people to be able to connect with that message afterwards and then be able to talk about it so we created a site for consumers who hadn't seen the show and a secondary site for people leaving the theater who wanted to understand more and do the research because again and as a team we all realized everybody left and wanted to know more about this true story and what happened and so that was a, a big focus of our energy and then making sure that we are able to we 
uh, can attract people and get them in and get them interested and then uh, an advertising spend that would be able to go back and talk to them afterwards and say, remember us, we're here and you know, purchase a ticket or, you know, whatever Big Brother stuff we need to do. So we talk a little bit about these big shows. We have a lot of listeners out there that have small shows or they're writers mm-hmm. themselves are trying to draw attention to them. What would you tell someone that has the $500 that someone had 10, 15 years ago or $1,000 to spend for marketing a super small off-off-Broadway show? How should they spend that money or should they spend that money? I, in these situations, I'm the biggest thing I say to everybody always is use the creative team and ask them to get on board with your creating for your marketing. Because in that situation, the creative team can help craft fun messages that are on brand with the show that are entertainment based that somebody who happens to see a video that you can upload for free will get a a great understanding of what it is that they're selling. It takes a lot of money to penetrate an audience and people to really get into the idea that they're going to decide to buy a ticket. But if you have a very small show and you have a great creative lead on that or great writers or great actors, trying to work with them to say, hey, let's come up with some fun ideas that we can release. We can make these with this camera on my iPhone, but it's going to be fun and show showcase elements of this show that we won't be able to do in anything else we don't have the money to do is generally the best bet because trying to get through to that consumer it has to be a sort of creative connection and you're not going you're not going to have all the money in the world to create all the advertising messages you know the, the, an interesting thing that i learned this on was in the heights when we had come to broadway and it, again another original story and a, a original cast all original material and i worked very closely with lin manuel on how do we how does he come up with ideas to create elements that are in the tone of the show or speak to the show, but are also entertaining outside of the show so that somebody maybe isn't interested in the plot of the show or had heard something and they weren't really into it, but they see this video series or a funny music video and it makes them pay attention to something and then brings them into this sort of awareness circle that we wouldn't have gotten to normally. So let's talk about some of the non-theatrical clients that you have. First of all, why be more general with your company? Why not, like most of the agencies in town, niche down, we're just going to serve theater clients. What made you say, no, no, I'm going to do theater people and I'm going to do non-theater people as well? Mm -hmm. I was in a unique position having worked at Situation and then going to Spaco. I was one of the very first people in this space. So I worked with many, many Broadway shows in a way that I... Now you would come in in the digital space and you'd work on three or four shows, but I was working on all of the shows that came through Spaco. I had worked on a lot of Broadway and I love, I love the idea of selling Broadway tickets. It is a passion of mine. I, um, I feel like the experience of what that means to somebody watching them leave, I really, nothing drives me more than that idea. But I also think the marketplace is changing so much. And I think that there are other things that also can create that consumer connection. We work on a brand called Rouge, which is very similar to a dry bar, but for makeup. And I watch women go in and get their makeup done and leave with that same so they're so happy and 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 having an experience in a moment that they didn't have before they walked in 
And so for us, and looking at the scope of my business, I, I, I understand Broadway. And again, it's changing, so I don't understand all of it. But I understood it enough to know that I think it's important for us as a company to understand how to get to consumers in other experience type of situations that isn't, they're not, it's not just about the theater ticket, but how does that differ a little bit in terms of we have dance conventions. We sell to dance teachers and they bring in their students. How is that different than we, uh, a former client of ours, 54 Below, selling to every single night a different product? And how do we get to every single day? It was like, okay, a whole new challenge is ahead. All of these things are experiences, but the way that you go about talking to all of these people or connecting or getting into their email or into wherever they're reading online, it's all different, but it all has that same undercurrent to it. And I think it's important for us and in in the digital landscape with the changing that we have a more well-rounded view of that so that we're not just stuck in these boxes of, oh, we're going to buy X theater site and my theater site, and we're going to do this and Google search and okay, we're checked off. There, it's so much more strategic than that now. And you really have to understand in all of these situations, who is the consumer? What's driving them? What is going to make that decision connect? And they're going to actually transfer over and make that sale happen. And it's a relationship you're creating. And how do we create that relationship? I don't, I, I didn't want that to be exclusive to theater because I think it makes us better theater marketers to understand how relationships are formed across the board. So 10 years ago, you were scrambling, trying to find what to do with 500 bucks. What do you think the digital landscape looks like 10 years from now? God, you know, I was just in Cannes, Cannes Lion two weeks ago, and it always amazes me how much it changes every three to six months. And I can't believe, you know, mobile messaging was a thing for such a long time and that went away. And just all of these little things come in and they pop out. Snapchat, I mean, that was such a big part of the conversation for four months. And then all of a sudden we're off Snapchat. I think it it develops into more of a permission-based marketing situation. And so I think that's what's important about it is that advertising is no longer this big Coca-Cola, sell this big idea because you want that life and you need that life and we're going to shame you into having that life. Not that I'm saying Coca-Cola did that, but advertising in those days, makeup advertising, you you have to have these lashes or otherwise, you know, you you don't look like this woman. I'm against all of that. I think it needs to be the relationship and it needs to be, no, we want to invite you in and experience this and have a conversation and look at this interesting part of of this brand that we can talk to you about and come if you want to or just listen, but we we want you to be a part of it and we're not going to force you to be a part of it. I I believe that the digital space will move more towards that. That I, I that's the biggest change I've seen in the last ten years. Again, from that full page, you got to buy it or you're going to miss out. To oh no, you should know more about us and be informed and know what, what our creative teams like and who's starring in it and what the history of this piece is and will allow you to make a decision about it. I think that's it's an inevitable thing. There's so much noise in the marketplace. There's no other way to get through other than that. What's the biggest mistake that shows make when advertising or marketing today? Most common mistake people make? I think 
I'm not pointing any fingers, but I think... Point them. Point them. <laughs> even if they're at me. I think the biggest mistake is that we look to what other shows are doing as the radar for where we should be. And I, with all of the brands that come into our agency, we write out a brand pyramid and then a competitive landscape and guiding principles. We don't look... We look at the competitive landscape, but it doesn't, what we do in terms of advertising and marketing and outreach is not defined by a reaction to what somebody else did. And I think that there, there's a misconception that, oh, we're all going to buy a TV spot on this station. We definitely need to be here or we're missing out. It might not be your audience. And I think that we all need to step back and look at everything as what is our brand? What is, what is it we're selling? Who is our consumer? And it's not just because it's Broadway. There's 7 million types of chocolate bars. How does one make a decision about a chocolate bar? It's not all the same. And I, I think that would probably be the, the biggest mistake. So you're obviously very successful, very busy. You juggle a lot of different things. Any life hacks that you use? Any apps you use? Do you, are you a yoga person? Are you a to-do person? What's the one thing that you think keeps your life and your business in order that you have to do? Oh, God, this is a good question. It's not yoga. No, I don't. I mean, I uh, to do all of these things, you have to be severely organized. So I don't know that, that I was born with OCD. I know that I've developed it, um, but I don't I don't mind it. It keeps me in line. I, it's all about making sure that I can schedule my day and cut time out for creative. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that keeps the company moving and spinning in, a, in the direction that I'm trying to, to keep it in is that we can always bog down with numbers and minor to-dos, but I think it's all about prioritization and being able to look at the day or the week or the month and problem solve based off of the necessities of what you're really, what really needs to be solved because there's none of the shit ever gets all done. But the important things need to be the things that rise to the top. So I, I am not always going to get it all done. I accepted that. But I knowing when to prioritize and put the important messaging, as long as it's going to take, is it's going to take us six times more than it will to just do the simple thing. It's better to put the energy into that thing because all the other things become easier after that. And that's probably kept me in line. Yeah, because it's not exercise. <laughs> Okay, my last question, which is my genie question. I want you to imagine that the genie from Aladdin comes to visit you and thanks you for your incredible, unbridled passion for selling theater tickets that I know on and off this microphone and wants to grant you one wish. What's the one thing that gets you so worked up about Broadway, so frustrating to you that you'd ask this genie to wish away? The thing about passionate people is we often get very frustrated when things yeah. aren't done the way that we believe they should be done. So what would you ask this genie to change with your wish? Uh, there's quite a few things. It's tough because, you know, I what I, I want more than anything is a consumer to be able to purchase tickets with the same ease that they are able to purchase Anything else. I, here's a life hack. I order everything online. Everything. Because I have Amazon Prime and it is much faster and easier for me to go back in and reorder my face wash than it is to go to Dwayne Reed. And that is a part of my day to day and how we use Uber or Lyft, how we use Amazon, how we buy movie tickets. 
it, that is the most important through line that we can market so much, but to, you have to be able to close that sale in a very seamless way. And I know we're all trying our best. So again, no pointing fingers, but I, I would, I wish that we could have that ticket process, the purchase process so seamlessly integrated, particularly on mobile and handheld devices, because it's still a large purchase. And I understand the argument that what's such a large purchase and people don't really feel comfortable buying things on their mobile device at that price range. I disagree. I buy plane tickets on my phone. I buy a lot of, I buy quite a bit of stuff, clothing, whatever it is, generally it's happening on my phone. And I would love to close that gap in. And certainly if they're not, if there is still some resistance, which I've always understood the argument, oh, you got to pick a seat, it's expensive. But as you say, you have to do the same thing on an airline. And certainly if our consumer is not there today, they will be there tomorrow. And we need to catch up on that or we're just going to be yeah. behind every other yeah. industry out there. I mean, I also think there's this weird gap. We have these sort of, I think the thing that we need to probably improve on, and this is one of the last conversations I had it's a little bit ago, but the, the two to three ticket goer, there's like the one time ticket goer and they go through the whole rigmarole, parking and blah, blah, blah. And then there's the six time ticket goer. And those are sort of where the audience is growing. But the two to three, I can understand. It's like, uh, I go through this process. Uh, let's just go through this. Because the process of buying the ticket isn't as easy. They might want to see another show. They might want to come into the theater for the night, but they they know what the process is. It's not as seamless as they want it to be. And the six timers so dedicated that they don't they they got it down. They know they're going to go to this site and look for discounts, or they're going to go here, or they know the seat, they know their parking garage. But the two to three time visitor of Broadway. It's, 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 again, it's the experience. What happens when they come in? Where are they parking? How are they getting here? What restaurants are they going to? Did they have to pay for babysitting? Like taking all of these things into consideration and going, let's make this as easy as possible for them because it's not just about sitting in the seat. It's about everything that happens before and after for that person. And the first timer probably searching on Google, Broadway buys the ticket and comes and they come to see Lion King. Right. And again, that six-timer has a habit, but this, I think this is where we need to just focus in a little bit more. It's a great wish. We, we have to make things much easier for our buyer, for sure, because everyone else is, so we better yeah. catch up. Thank you so much for that. Thanks to all of you for listening. We will see you next time. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget, if you don't follow me on Facebook yet, go there right now, facebook.com backslash Ken Davenport. Check out photos, video, and all sorts of fun stuff. I drip out there as well. Visit me on Facebook today. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org, because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.